This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, as well as in the evenings on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Monday. Good to be with you today. Matt Patrick here today, a guest free, but you're more than welcome to join us at any point. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Patrick, how are we today? Uh, doing all right. Uh, trying to trying to remember what i did yesterday i'm not even that old <laughs> you are a kind of a sports guy it is a god-awful weekend for sports because not only do you have the most worthless game probably in the history of mankind the nfl all-star game pro bowl uh you had the nhl uh which i i mean can someone give me the pythagorean theorem to figure out how the hell that thing went again i can't figure that out and so, yeah, you, you're kind of down quite a, you know, after a bevy of weekend sports for so many weeks, it's now kind of like, okay, yeah, let's watch a flag football game. Yeah, right. Not happening. We do have some happy news, though. Uh, Wolves coach Chris Finch will coach the uh, Western Conference All-Stars next week at the All-Star game. And everyone in Chicago right now is cursing our name. All right. <laughs> so, so, hey, 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 Chicago. Hey, yeah, the T-Wolves are doing something that we didn't expect. They're pretty good this year. Yeah, who knew? Uh, 952-946-6205. Did you watch any of the Grammys last night? I did actually watch most of them because I wanted to see the Billy Joel performance at the, uh, what turned out to be at the end of the... The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's let's just be honest, kind of star-studded. Boy, they have figured out the Grammys. Can I just say this? First of all, Trevor Noah, if I'm the Grammys... I am I am basically locking that dude down on a contract for the next as long as he wants to do it cuz he is a very good host for that show. Would he be as good as an Oscar host as the as the Emmy host? I don't know. But at the Grammys, perfect. Just perfect. The other thing is and I understand that this is you know, you kind of what they they realized is they have too many dang awards to try to basically give away every award during the show or even just you're, you're all you're going to do is make someone mad if you don't give away um you know one category's worth of awards and you give everyone all the other categories away so you you kind of you know, they really trim that down and there's only just a really a kind of a handful of awards they do through the evening and what do they do they they hang their hat on what they're there for and they bring out the music uh, Combs and Tracy Chapman on Fast Car. Did you see that? Holy cow. I did see that. God, what a great song. What a great song. And, and Tracy Chapman is just fantastic there. Uh, the In Memoriam. Uh, boy, Stevie Wonder really getting emotional with Tony Bennett. Um, you know, and just, my gosh, Lady Gaga. I mean, how many 
artists today perceived Bennett as kind of a god in the music industry. I mean, mm-hmm. just was just so loved. And of course, the biggest announcement of all: Taylor Swift's new album. Was it Casey Chambers? Was the country artist? Is that the country artist who yes. announced as well? She had a, about thirty minutes beforehand. She announced he had a new album coming out, and no one even remembers that. No. I, there was. I could hear it in uh, in my basement where my TV is at. I I was watching it, and the minute you know they announced, I've got a new album coming out. I could hear America scrambling to their social media pages to basically get the deets on that. And Tay-Tay delivered, and it's, yeah, that is going to be, you know, hey, it's good. It's about time she got a hit. You know, how about we we say it like that? About time she got something good for her. There you go. About time. Um, You also had um, uh, Billy Joel, as you said. Um, Lionel Richie looks fantastic. My God, does Lionel Richie look fantastic. Yeah, my mom commented that Lenny Kravitz looks really good, too, for being about 60. Yeah, how about Joni Mitchell? How about, you know, I I don't know if you caught the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with with, uh, Willie Nelson, who I love Willie Nelson. I think he's just such a great in-your-face, you know, guy, and I just love what he stands for and everything like that. Uh, My dad was also a big Woody, uh, you know, big fan of his. So... You know, watching Joni Mitchell come on out and sing and realize, I mean, she's 80 and she still is as captivating as ever, still is as important as ever. So, yeah, that was quite good. Very enjoyable. And then one thing I did want to mention um, is that there was one moment which I was kind of to a point surprised at the the pretty much the immediate pushback on the the whole thing and that was in regards to Annie Lennox who during the in memoriam segment did the salute to Sinead O'Connor and sang what is actually not an easy song to sing and nothing compares to you and absolutely nailed it at the end of it Lennox raised her fist and shouted, Artist for ceasefire, peace in the world. All right. All right. I, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not the first time you've ever seen a musical artist call for peace or anything like that. I'll, who could ever forget stand or fall from the fix for, for the children? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, you remember that? <laughs> that, 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 okay, sure, for the kids, why not? Sure thing, Fix. Um, immediately, that was I, I was stunned at the response on social media to Annie Lennox calling for peace. And once again, artists for ceasefire, peace in the world. Okay, I haven't. I I I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to take any callers. I'm not going to do anything. I'm talking about what's going on. Uh, between Israel and Hamas and and stuff like this. I've I've said before. I've been very vocal. You can be both. Israel did not deserve that. That was a mass murder by Hamas on the people of of Israel. It was disgusting beyond disgusting. It was truly horrible, um, attacking people in their homes, attacking music festivals. That was just that's that's you know that that's Hannibal Lecter stuff there. I mean that's what that is. And to a point, I've always said, you know, well, if you 
mess around with a country who's got military capabilities, you're going to learn a lesson. And undeniably, the Palestinians, who are the people that Hamas was the elected party for, have definitely taken the brunt of that lesson, understandably. And I have even been of the mindset that I believe that Israel had a right to, you know, kind of hit back hard, especially this such an intrusion into their country. Um, yeah, absolutely. But there comes a point where, okay, you've wiped out, depending on the report you've read, 60 to 70% of the structures in the Gaza have been damaged or destroyed. Um, the conservative estimates are 30 to 40,000 dead in the Gaza. Okay, you know, we're over 20-fold more in response. There are people who are saying that not only should this not stop, but basically kill them all or put them on an, an – what was that one guy saying? One of the guys in the Israeli government was saying build an artificial island off the coast of – of of you know the Gaza and basically just put them out there and surround it with mines and this and then eventually go check on them in a few years and see if any of them survived that sort of mentality it is somewhat heavy-handed okay it's you you've made your point and now the question is is this just basically you're going to you're you're leveling it so you can put more israeli put israeli settlements into the Gaza and just take it over and that's going to be the end of it at the same time, it seems like there seem, there is a lot of people who are like, kill every Palestinian. And as much as the narrative is that every, every Palestinian is Hamas, that's just not true. It's just not true. And yeah, it, it's there. So you can be both. You can, you can say definitively Israel deserves to, to strike back and defend its borders and all these things. And yeah, you, you, you got to the and find out portion of the equation and they were heavy, you know. You know, they had a heavy-handed response. That being said, there is also the ability to say, "Okay, where, what, what, what is end for you?" Because the Israelis even shot some of their own. The hostages had been released, and they shot and killed them. They're not. That's that shooting and figuring out things after the fact. I, I don't quite know what's going on down there. That being said, if we get to a point where anyone is a villain, if they're calling for peace, we're lost. We as a society are completely lost because I think at the very end, I think isn't that supposed to be one of the things that does unify us is that at some point we we do want to have peace, that peace is something that's attainable, that a planet without wars, a planet without 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 conflict would be a good thing. I, th- I think it'd be a good thing. Am I a bad person when I if I would say I wish there was peace in the world? I would hope not, but the way that when Annie Lennox said that, it it really did trigger a lot of people into, I'm done with her, how dare she? And I'm, okay, now, Artists for Ceasefire seems to be a reference to the organization's Artists for Ceasefire and the number four Ceasefire which wrote an open letter to Joe Biden to call for an immediate de-escalation of the ceasefire and the ceasefire in Gaza and Israel before another life is lost. Lennox and other artists, including Jennifer Lopez, Andrew Garfield, uh, have signed the letter. You know, once again, um, 
no one here is saying that Israel did not have a right to strike back. My God, what happened to the Israelis was disgusting. And yeah, you've, you know, 20-fold easy, easy 20-fold, at least in response. I think you've sent the message. At this point saying, you know, is it possible we could get a ceasefire? It could, is it possible we could have some peace? Like I said, I don't think that that's necessarily anything more than just saying, can we, can we stop? And I would love to see peace in, in, in Ukraine. Russia, go home. There you go. Does that make me a bad person? I would hope not. Because we used to, once again, be a society where that was the that was the, the, the place we tried to be. And I guess that's maybe that's why about it last night when the Grammys were on and, and the, the instant pushback against Annie Lennox I saw, I was like, really? I mean, really? I, I would hope that we can say, we can at the very least as a society, as a people, just say, you know what? I would love to have peace in this world, and hopefully we can have peace in this world. And without someone looking at me and saying, you know, how dare you? Because, like I said, if we're at that point, we are indeed, indeed lost. To take a break, come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Monday, 952-946-6205, Yeah, um, yeah, King Charles, King Charles III, the ruler of Britain, story breaking today, he has been diagnosed with cancer, has started receiving treatment. The news from Buckingham Palace on Monday comes just after Charles went into the hospital for a minor prostate surgery. The palace says the cancer is not related to the king's recent treatment for a benign prostate condition, and he did not say what form of cancer the 75-year-old monarch currently does have. I, I, I find it kind of surprising because I'm presuming if you're the king of England, you get kind of the gold-plated healthcare status. You're going to get, you know, weekly checkups, blood work, all that stuff. I got to believe at least on a fairly regular basis. Charles, who ascended the throne just over one year ago, was diagnosed with an enlarged prostate on January 17th. After he experienced undisclosed symptoms, he canceled in, uh, engagements, was urged to rest before the procedure, which was completed on Friday afternoon. The king decided to announce the surgery in advance uh, in an effort to encourage other men to have their prostates checked in line with public health advice, by all means. And by the way, if, you've, if you're in Chicago, you may not know, I, when I had my first colonoscopy, I talked about the fact that you need to do this. It's not comfortable. It's not the most pleasant thing. But this is treatable cancer, pre-cancer. You can catch cancer before it starts. And trust me, I have had friends who have gone through colon cancer. If you can catch it before it becomes cancer, by God, is that a better deal. Trust me. So being uncomfortable, be damned. Okay? You, you need to go get that stuff checked. And so I commend him. Uh, on basically encouraging people to go get your prostate checked because, you know, you can have a lot of problems there. 
the details, what kind of cancer exactly, have not been disclosed. The PK, uh, the, the PK, the UK political leaders sent messages of support after the cancer diagnosed was announced. Uh, the prime minister tweeted, wishing his majesty a full and speedy recovery. I have no doubt he'll be back to full strength in no time. and know the whole country will be wishing him well. News of the king's diagnosis comes as his daughter-in-law, Kate, Princess of Wales, recovers from abdominal surgery that saw her hospitalized for about two weeks. Now, here is the statement, the full statement from the Buckingham Palace folks. During the king's recent hospital procedure for benign prostate enlargement, a separate issue of concern was noted. Subsequent diagnostic tests have identified a form of cancer. His Majesty has today commenced a schedule of regular treatments, during which time he has been advised by doctors to postpone public-facing duties. Throughout this period, His Majesty will continue to undertake state business and official paperwork as usual. The king is grateful to his medical team and their swift intervention, which was made possible thanks to his recent hospital procedure. He remains wholly positive about his treatment and looks forward to returning to public duty as soon as possible. His Majesty has chosen to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation in the hope that he may assist public understanding for those around the world who are affected by cancer, by all means. And so... and it, it does not matter. I, I'm, I'm a radio host in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in Chicago. It, I hope you do okay, sir. With all, you know, no jokes aside, cancer is a god-awful thing. And even my, my the people I really dislike on this planet, I would never want them to have cancer. It is truly horrible. And it, I've watched, I've had friends, I'm 55. At this point, I've had friends who I've watched have cancer, think it got treated, it came back, think they got treated, came back, think it got treated, came back and took them out. I have seen friends who have had a diagnosis in June and they were gone in August. It is horrible. And, you know, it's it's very hard for a family to watch someone they love have to deal with this. I hope this is early stages. I hope this is very treatable. I hope the best. Now, once again, all my best to the King of England. That being said, is there anything more King Charles than he waits 75 years to get the throne and then almost immediately is diagnosed with cancer? Oh, you know, it's he's waited his entire life. Now, by the way, I mean, if you know, if the little I do understand about genetics, I mean, he should take. A little bit after his 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 mother, mom, go team go. Queen Elizabeth was fantastic. So I'm kind of my 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 feeling is my hope is is that you know this is treatable and he has a good twenty twenty five years on the throne. All my best. Good luck there, England. But yeah, yeah. I saw this and I said, it's, <laughs> Prince Charles. Yeah, nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five is the phone number. Uh, I, I got to take some time to talk about this. If you paid attention to this compromise deal that the Senate Republicans and the president have worked out in regards to a funding deal for border security and Ukraine, is that the Republicans have done a spectacular job at getting concessions. And as a matter of fact, I didn't call this bipartisan. I called this a Republican handout. And I think it is. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's a lot about this bill I am not very cool with. And neither are a lot of other Democrats. But the reality is, is this is 
this is a you know a compromised deal, and the reason it, it's interesting to watch the dynamics that are in play with this border deal in place. Now, first of all, let's call Speaker Johnson the liar that he is. He insisted that he was exempt from the discussions, and even Senate Republicans said no. We called him and said, "Do you want to be part of this? You have a seat at the table," and he refused to come and sit down. So he was asked to be part of this discussion. He was asked to be part of the deal. Yet he did not participate of his own will. He didn't. It wasn't like he was stopped. They, he just decided he didn't want to. The Senate Republicans understand where things are at. I, I, I would say, I mean, I, I feel as if of the three bodies that are up for election come November, the presidency, the House and the Senate. I think the House is a slam dunk guarantee the Democrats take that back. It has been such an absolute mess, and the Republicans can't even get out of their own way. I mean, if I was a moderate Republican right now, I'd be saying, no, bring that bill to the floor. I want to vote on it. And, you know, Trump be damned. I'm not going to be the guy going out here uh, as a moderate Republican with this far-right extremist, you know, libertarian mentality. Nope. But they can't get out of their own way. I think it's almost a probably a 95% guarantee the House goes back to the Democrats. I think the the presidency, I'm about 70% sure the, the, the White House will stay with Joe Biden. The Senate, which I think at the beginning of last year probably was favoring the Republicans to pick up the Senate, maybe like a, you know, like a 60-40. I think the Senate's become much more of a 50-50 turnout. Because the toxicity of the House Republicans, as well as the toxicity of Trump, have definitely hurt them. And that's why there's a lot of Republicans in the Senate who are like, for God's sakes, this is the the greatest gift we could ever get from Joe Biden. Which leads me to believe that Joe Biden knows exactly what's going on. He knows he could put out a 100% Republican bill. And that the House Republicans will kill it. And so here are the Senate Republicans who are desperately trying to find some sort of path for them to be able to win and and basically take the Senate back from the Democrats. And they can't, because of the House Republicans, they can't find any path here. We'll talk about this more when I do come back, plus a little bit about sports as well. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPTA 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoons on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Back to the border deal, which, once again, if you want to see how broken the Republican Party is, most of the time when you do a piece of bipartisan legislation, there's a lot that you have to swallow to basically get the, the half that you want. If I was to look at this bill fairly, I would say 75 to 80 percent of this bill is what the Republicans wanted. This is what you call a dream scenario for Republicans in a bipartisan bill. They will never get this kind of compromise again. And yet they're trying to torpedo it. Now, I'll get to that here in a second. Let me read this here. The ink is barely dry on the bipartisan compromise legislation seeking to secure the U.S.-Mexico border. Many Republicans are already up in arms and vowing to oppose it. Tooth and nail ahead of a procedural Senate vote this week. 
This is worse than bad negotiation. It's betrayal. The Senate GOP can stop it if all 41 of us, sta- 41 of us stand together, said Senator Mike Lee of Utah, um, urging his Senate colleagues to filibuster it. I cannot understand how we need Republican with, with any how, how any Republican would think this is a good idea or anything other than an unmitigated disaster. We need new leadership now, the conservative senator said in another post. Senator Ted Cruz, now once again, Mike Lee, part of the insurrection. Ted Cruz, just an incompetent boob, piled on calling the proposal an utter disaster. This is insane. But it wasn't just rank-and-file Republican Party senators who were quick to announce the border deal. It was negotiated by their fellow conservatives, James Langford, Republican of Oklahoma, who once again has been censored by the Republican Party of Oklahoma for merely trying to work out a bipartisan deal with the president. This, that, that should be your big red flag about where the current Republican Party is. Even just talking to Joe Biden right now is considered to be a traitor by Republicans. Even though Lankford, my God, if James Lankford, if this was 30 years ago, Lankford would be the front runner, not this election cycle, but the next cycle through. Guaranteed. They'd be looking at it like, well, here's a guy who's a conservative, but he can get what he wants and gets bipartisan bills done. We love him. Nowadays, how dare you? You didn't punch Joe Biden in the face when you had the chance. The compromise has been praised by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Dave Daines, Steve Daines, Republican of Montana, member of the Connell's leadership team, also announced uh, his opposition of it, though, on Monday. I can't support a bill that doesn't secure the border, provides taxpayer-funded lawyers to illegal immigrants, and gives billions to radical open border groups, Daines, who chairs the National Republican Senatorial Committee, said on X. Uh, you know, I can tell you right now... You, uh, it's going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. Meanwhile, in the, the Howler Monkey exhibit we know as the U.S. House, Majority Leader Steve Scalise vowed it will not even receive a vote, while House Speaker Mike Johnson called it even worse than we expected and claimed it won't come close to ending the border catastrophe the president has created. Other Republicans f- falsely claimed it would give amnesty to millions of undocumented immigrants, a dirty word on the right. It should be noted that once again, this bill is like 75 to 80 percent of what the Republicans wanted. A lot of Democrats are having a hard time supporting it. And yet they're acting as if it's, there's nothing here at all. Uh, it, what, what was it? Uh, it was on CNN. I think it was Johnson went on CNN and said, well, this is not, I want to make sure you understand what he, did. He, he said on CNN. He said, you don't fix problems like this with bipartisan deals through Congress. You feel figure this out through executive order. So what they're trying to do is create a situation where the only person's name on it is Joe Biden, and that way they can basically say, you know, you know, there's nothing going on here. I mean, if you're Biden, you basically still have a lot of the chips on your side. What you can do is basically say, okay, this is deals off the table then. I'm nationalizing the, the National Guards, uh, federalizing the National Guards on the border, which basically takes away this, you know, let's start shooting at each other mentality of the South. And yeah, and then you know you you, you can sit and complain and, and be upset about it, but the reality is is you're still in, at square one. The legislation includes several big conservative wins, including provisions that would allow the government to get more easily expel migrants at the border, restrict claims for parole, and make it significantly harder for immigrants to claim asylum. Once again, this is like seventy to eighty percent a Republican wish list. It would also automatically shutter the border if illegal crossings reach or climb past a certain average daily threshold with certain humanitarian exceptions. 
Langford called it a once-in-a-generation opportunity to close our open border and give future administrations the effective tools they need to stop the border chaos and protect the nation. Not exactly the most liberal guy. And he, he sees it. And, and I feel sorry for Langford because, like I said, if this was 30 years ago, Langford would be getting carried out of the Senate on their shoulders. Well, they're you know, probably not. They're all old. Um, you know, they'd hire some younger men to come and carry Langford out. How about we do it like that? 30 years ago, Langford would be hailed as a conquering hero. And he would immediately become a front runner for the next open presidential ticket. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here he is. He's getting censored by his own party and being called a failure, even though he got 70 to 80 percent of what they wanted in this bill. Uh, many, uh, it, it basically, let me go back to once in a lifetime general opportunity to close our border. He also sought to rebuke claims at the right that it would allow unfettered passage of migrants across the border. But many of the GOP have already come out against it anyway, bowing to pressure from former President Trump and his allies. Some Republicans have openly admitted they don't want to give Joe Biden a victory to keep the issue alive ahead of the November general election. Uh, there are even some on the right calling for Lankford to resign from the Senate because of this. This is, these guys are crazy. And there is this mentality, and I don't know if you've seen this in Illinois, but here in Minnesota, we've had a few of the, the, the howler monkey Republicans out in these really right districts, the really red ones where a turnip with an R next to its name could run and win, that they basically are like, that any compromise at all is failure. I, I don't know if you understand. I, I, I laid this out before the break. The House is going back to the Democrats. You will never get this bill again this bill will not come on out you are not going to get these compromises it's just not and and maybe you feel as if you know hey i'd write you wonder why these guys are you know very pro-fascism very pro-dictator well because they they're they're at the point where for them the idea of even working together with the other side is so insufferable they would rather get rid of democracy itself and put one guy they agree with in charge and basically let him you know, dole out orders left and right. And so I do want to make sure I come back and say for the record, if you're not planning on voting this election cycle, you're an absolute freaking fool because these guys want to trash democracy and install a dictator for life in the great orange Mussolini that is Donald Trump. Well, not orange. I mean, that's brown now. I mean, that is, that is, you know, you got the wrong shoe polish, dude. I just want to let you know it's, it's like watching Holiday Inn. It's, it's not a good scene, dude. You need to fix that. No, I don't know if you can. It's your face. It's, it really, it's your face. It's your face is bad. Anyway. So, okay, I want to make sure we understand something. For the last year, Every Republican has been demanding, why isn't Joe Biden doing something about the border? Ah! Every one of them. Every single one of them. So Joe Biden sits down, and, and this is what I think he's doing, is he's playing these guys like a fiddle. I think he's knowing that he does look like he's the compromise. As a matter of fact, he looks like he's being taken to, the, taken to task. He's done a deal with Langford, which is such a sweetheart deal for the Republicans that they would be nuts to not go for it. 
now all of a sudden it's because Trump does not want to lose this issue. We're going to get rid of this. My gut feeling is, is sometime in probably August or September, when especially the House Republicans are realizing how bad it's going to go for them, there's going to come this, hey, guys, remember that border deal that we said we'd never vote for? If you send it back down to us, we'll, we'll, we'll vote on it now. We'll see what it is. We, we desperately need something we can campaign with that looks like we're doing something. So we're more than willing to vote for it now. And, yeah, that, that, that's going to be my guess is what's going to happen is that this is all bravado now, but when it comes time, and my gut feeling is as Trump becomes less and less popular, matter of fact, was it four national polls now have Biden leading actually with, what, four to four to six points, you know, fairly substantially for this point, at this point, considering he was behind. Uh, Biden is now starting to lead in a lot of polls. By the time they get to that point, I'm going to be of the mindset that they're going to desperately, desperately like, hey, let's bring that back. That wasn't a bad bill. If that's the bill we have, because even if they did win the White House and even if they did win the Senate, they're not going to win the House. And if they won the House, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that they're not going to get as sweetheart of a deal this time, the next time with this as they want now. Uh, nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Why not? Let's go to Gary. Is in Minneapolis. Welcome on in, Gary. Yeah, Matt. You know they're down at the border. They're making Gary a big there? scene about the border. And they Trump. You see Trump on TV. Well, you can't yeah. vote for that. I can't so hear him So, for so uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry, that, Gary. Hold on a second, Gary. We'll try to get your call here in just a sec. Okay. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six twelve five. We got him. G- Gary. Sorry about that. Are, are you there now, buddy? Yeah, it's nice to talk to you for it. It's been a while. But anyways, I'm saying that, that Mike Johnson. They made down the border. Made a big hub about big, you know, about the border not being good. Mm-hmm. And now they refuse to work with the Democrats and Trump. They they should play Trump. Tell them not to do it. And does that hypocrisy? Don't you think it'll finally backfire on them? Well, they, they, it's it's. You would think it would, uh, you know, yeah, Gary, thank you very much. No, right now they're all just, this is, this is fascism 101. I mean, this is fascism 101. This is a bunch of people that it doesn't matter. I mean, they're not about fixing anything. The, the Republican party is not about fixing anything. It's about tricking you into voting for them. I mean, like I said, let's just look at this one instant. Republicans kept screaming, why hasn't Joe Biden done anything about the border? He does something about the border. He's like, well, we're not going to do it. And they've been blunt because they don't want to give him a win prior to the election. They don't want him having a successful border policy, a bipartisan victory. They don't want that. And not only that, but, you know, the mentality, I mean, Russia has clearly pulled the leashes on the Republican politician. The... Republicans could essentially claim they oppose further U.S. assistance to Ukraine without together uh, tougher border enforcement. Now the position of many on the GOP seems to be they oppose aiding Ukraine flat out. Uh, for five months, my Republican colleagues had demanded, and I think rightfully so, that we address this border crisis as part of a national security package, said Kristen Sinema, boo, who helped negotiate the bill. She added that Republicans now get to make a choice. Do you want to secure the border? The survival of the $118 billion national security emergency spending package in the Senate will depend on the support of the center 
of both political parties. Republicans are aiming for a majority of their 49-member conference to support it. But given the animus on the right, even 10 to 15 GOP votes might prove to be difficult. Um, The lift for uh, uh, advocates on getting 60 votes to advance the bill on Wednesday becomes more difficult if a large number of Democrats come out against it. Several progressives and Latino Democrats have criticized the proposal already. The deal includes a new version of the failed Trump-era immigration policy that will cause more chaos at the border, not less, said Senator Alex Padilla of California. Senator Bob Menendez, uh, you know, uh, yeah, gold bar, uh, called the deal unacceptable and noted to fail, uh, it failed to provide DREAMers a path to citizenship and criticized Senate leadership for leaving out the Latino lawmakers from the negotiations. So, I, you know, frankly, I think, I think the Senate's going to pass this. I think it's going to be close, but especially if you are up for re-election in a Senate race, because remember, those are statewide races, man. And on the statewide races, they can't lose too much. So my gut feeling is this is going to get out of the Senate, and then the, the House is just going to vote it down, and then you know the House looks like it's more incompetent day after day after day. I would say this. If the House did allow this vote to, bill to come to the floor for a vote, I think it would pass. I think it would pass. I think enough Republicans would get there. So this is this is the Republican leadership in the House basically preventing even their own party from voting on this because they don't trust it. And it's all for one thing, to show undying adulation for their fascist in chief, Donald Trump. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, by the way, coming up at, uh, with the Mothership AM 950, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, it is Listener Appreciation uh, Month kicking off today. I'll get into that. All sorts of things we got to talk about coming up in the 4 o'clock hour here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Over the next week, the National Football League's players, coaches, fans, and executives will gather for an event that is virtually unthinkable just 10 years ago, the Super Bowl in Vegas. A, the gambling capital of the United States. Since the Supreme Court struck down in 2018 a federal law that effectively bans sports betting outside of Nevada, a prohibition once backed by the NFL's commissioner, Roger Goodell, the NFL has embraced the gambling industry, to say the least. Uh, it has forged partnerships reportedly worth $1 billion over five years with sports betting companies and permitted a, a sports book to operate outside one of its stadiums. Now it even has a team in Vegas, which the team uh, the league shunned for decades because any affiliation was seen as a threat to the integra- uh, integrity of the game. Yet the Im- embedding of sports gambling so quickly into the culture of the league has resulted in jarring contradictions. The NFL is pushing to popularize and benefit from sports betting while still guarding against the potential pitfalls that it be uh, they don't long condemned while the league donates money to promote responsible gambling ha 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 it broadcasts that are preppered with advertisements for sports betting companies the NFL is part of a growing of apparatus that encourages casual fans to regularly wager on games while punishing league employees most notably players who do might do the same this is actually pretty shocking as a person who's 55 and you know, I, I think the most consummate example in sports is Pete Rose, who was gambling on games and was gambling for his team to lose, uh, allegedly. He was gambling on his team. He was allegedly gambling on his team to lose. And when they look back at those games, 
it kind of does explain some of the the moves that he made as the manager on the field. And we all had, I mean, and of course, in baseball as well, the 1919 Chicago White Sox, which, you know, were basically taken over by a bookie. And, you know, they made a mint. And the league realized if, you know, what separates sports from the WWE, WWF, WWE, wrestling, (laughs) pro wrestling, is that if you get to the point where the outcome of the match is not in question that there's a script that's being followed, then you don't have a sport anymore. And you see, this is a big freaking problem. Now, I got to tell you the truth. I am stunned at how quickly the NFL and all the sports league have gotten into bed with the bookies. And it, it's, it's, it, it is just amazing. Now, for the people in Illinois, I'm not sure what your gambling status is down there. In Minneapolis, in Minnesota, we don't have it yet. They have not passed it. And they've, they've, there was a bill on the table to have sports books at the Native American casinos in the state. That was actually endorsed by all the major sports leagues in the state. But because a few Republicans are determined that the non-Native American uh, facilities, the, 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 the horse and dog track uh, you know, that we have here in, in the state – they need to be included in on that and allowed to have a sports book that it got derailed. My now, once again, I you know, I don't think necessarily you're going to see a change in that mentality as far as who where it would be allowed in Minnesota. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people who are like, no, it it shouldn't just be for the Native American casinos. Let me. Be quick here in regards to a few things about this. One, um, take a look at it. Have you watched any sports broadcast now? Half the broadcast is about odds. What's the over-under? I mean, I'm dead serious. I think within the next five years, we're even going to have women wearing mini skirts and you know with, with with cleavage exposed doing you know it's it's the hot picks babe it's time for us to go to the hot pitch babe and get the hot picks babe picks i think that's coming i think that's coming I mean, it's it it is just a free for all out there and then the ads that they place make it seem like everybody's gambling you you're not putting money down? Yeah, well you should be loser. <laughs> How are you going to win anything? Now, I want to make sure we understand two things here about gambling institutions. One, they make money. So, at the end of the day, less money is going out the door that's coming than coming in the door, which should tell you something about whether or not you should be placing a bet. The odds are you're not going to win money, you're going to lose money. All right. It just that's that's just the reality. If you're not making money, you're Donald Trump with a casino. And that's you're just incompetent, beyond incompetent. So they're going to make their money. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you going to be is it going to be at your expense? Because that's just, you know, that's just money getting thrown away. In the same sense as every Powerball or Mega Millions or every ticket you buy that you don't win, well, that's that's money gone. The other thing is this, is that we are on the precipice here with this. Um, 
that, that this is going to become, you know, spur a massive gambling problem. Americans legally wagered more than $115 billion in sports in 2023. According to the National Gaming Association, while well, numbers of the NFL specifically are harder to parse because not every state or sports, sports or league, the Gaming Association referred to the market analysis from the investment firm. Uh, the report projected around $1.5 billion there. There's scant data on whether the legalization of sports gambling has increased addictive behavior, but those who track the effects of gambling have worries. The National Council of Program Problem Gambling said its survey data pointed to a, a high risk of gambling problems for adult Americans in the three years after the federal ban on sports, sports betting was overturned. So they're seeing this. A reality. No one's going to turn down your bet. You could have... You know, you've, you you could go get a mortgage on your house, you which you cannot afford. That's going to destroy you and your life. And you go to a betting firm; they're not going to tell you, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, dude! No, 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 no! You shouldn't be doing this. This is this is dangerous. You're not. Gonna, they're going to take your money, and they're going to say, "Sucks to be you." And that's that. At the end of the day. That's that. That's that's the world you're heading into. It is reckless beyond reckless, but, you know, they're not going to stop because these gambling companies are paying a lot of money. Top dollar. And now we got a Super Bowl in Vegas. Chicago, see you tomorrow. Minneapolis-St. Paul, hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Monday, first official day of Listener Appreciation Month. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Matt and Patrick here. We have a lot of things we got to talk about, man, Patrick, uh, about Listener Appreciation, because this is something that we're kicking off today. It's going to go pretty much the entire month here. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, we're going to be doing this all month long. Lots of uh, of, of things coming your way. Thank yous to you, the listeners, who have been part of AM950 for many years. Heck, I, I've been here for, it's going to be in March, it's going to be 14 years for me. And uh, there are people here that, you know, I, I, they tell you, about, you know, you're a youngster, I'm a youngster. Uh, so you guys have been the most, lo- I've never seen anything like it. You guys are the most loyal audience I've ever seen in my life. It is absolutely spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. We are on this show uh, in Native Roots Radio and uh, Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bach, and you're going to be hearing details throughout the, the week here on the, the, the first things we're going to be doing. Uh, but what I want you to really do um, right now is when you get a chance, go to Facebook, find the AM 950 radio page on Facebook, and like that, like that Facebook page, right? Go to am950radio.com, sign up for the newsletter. Because through the week here, we're going to keep track of everyone that hits like on the Facebook page, everyone that uh, you know signs up for the newsletter. You do that, you're going to be entered in to, to possibly win some stuff. We'll have more details on that as we come on in. But we've got tons of things throughout the entire month. Listener appreciation events uh, you know, that we're going to have. We've got gift cards to restaurants. Uh, other major fun Twin Cities events coming up here. A major, major grand prize at the end of the month that we're going to be. Well, that we I can't share the details with you yet, but it's looking pretty solid here. It's going to be pretty good. Uh, so you, we're going to have uh, multiple ways for you to win, uh, including at some point this hour. At some point this hour, you are going to have a chance to 
join us for the listener appreciation event we're going to be doing on Tuesday, February 13th from 6 to 8 p.m. And I'm going to be out there. I think some of the other shows are going to be out there as well. We're looking forward to seeing you. It's just a chance for us to come and get together and us to look and tell you thank you. And thank you very much uh, for all the people that have supported this. We're going to do this a little bit later on. So just make sure you listen for your chance. Uh, when, when, when I call for you to call in, you can win your, a pair of tickets there. But that's going to be a little bit later on that we're not doing that right now. All right. We're going to see the phone lines kind of going cray-cray all of a sudden. No, I'm not saying we're doing that yet. No, Don't taunt Patrick. Do not, No taunting Patrick right now. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is it, – this is really cool. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm the luckiest duck on the entire, in, in the entire state, man. The luckiest duck. I get to do this. And you guys are just spectacular. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Vern and White Bear Lake wanted to chime in on what we were talking at the end of last hour, which is the gambling hitting the NFL. Vern, thanks for holding. Welcome on in. Hi, Matt. Uh, I've always enjoyed your show. Thank you, sir. Um, the comment I got to make, and it's just become more clear and clear, it's something isn't right. The NFL is supposedly a nonprofit, and they've always been a nonprofit. Can you get that? Can you tell me why they're a nonprofit? They're dealing with, you know, cities, TV stations all over, paying the millions to broadcast their, their, their sports programs. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. None of the other leagues are nonprofit either. Well, and, and a reminder here, Vern, you, and you bring up an interesting point here. They bury a lot of stuff. I don't think the TV contracts are part of that deal. I don't think, you know, other things are. They, they, it's something that I think needs to be looked at in regards to, you know, what we're doing here. But thank you, Vern. I appreciate the phone call today. The, you know, since you brought it up, I mean, one of the things that there's a, a you know, and I, you're going to see more of these questions here you know where where is the break point between good and bad when it comes to pro sports you know we we could talk the timberwolves are giving us some enjoyment this time around yeah but (laughs) that was the andy dufresne sewer crawl we just went through just to get to this point let's be honest about it the sports leagues do a lot to, you know, I, I mentioned the gambling. They, they're full on, everyone gambles. Why aren't you gambling? Gamble, gamble, gamble. Put your hells up for a mortgage. Go throw the money at the game. It's the most important thing you can do. Gamble responsibly. You know, that's, I'm the, that's paraphrasing. That's a, a parody of, of what the, 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 the league has become. But that's kind of what it is. It's, you know, it's, you know, here, let's go over to the corner here where Chet and Steve are breaking down how you should place your wagers. Hey, here's a commercial break where three of the ads are basically you, you're, you're a loser if you're not gambling. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. But on top of that, let's just accept something here. It's, there is, when it comes time for owners to get a new stadium, there is always a sell job that comes with it. This will be the people's stadium. This will be this will be the the sense the, the center 
of civic pride here in our town. We just need every person to give us $3,000 so we can bill it. Me, a billionaire, so that I can basically put it up to where the only people that can afford to go in it are billionaires, and, and the, the, the players are all millionaires. But you see, great stuff. The NFL coming under some scrutiny. Super Bowl tickets, by the way, most expensive ever, $9,000. You want to go into Vegas and watch that game. The price of tickets has surged far behind inflation over the past few decades. Much of it has been by design. Teams create a limited supply of seats. Increased competition for those seats among people with disposable income is driving the prices up fiercely. Dynamic pricing of tickets on in, uh, ticket resale platforms. The overbuilt uh, new stadiums and arenas with more luxury suites and premium seats also have driven up prices. This makes catching a game in person increasingly a luxury good. That's why the way team owners and major sports want it, though. Unless they need a new stadium, then it's also like, look, we've got some, we've got some poor, lower income kids. We got, we brought three of them in because those are the only damn seats we're going to give those low income kids. But see, low income kids build us a stadium. Oh God, it's just such a joke. It's just such a joke at this point. I mean, I, you know, to a point, I, I, I think I would res- at least respect a sports team owner saying, yep. We want you, the taxpayers, to pay us a ton of money to keep a team here that you will never really be able to afford to go to. But you can watch on TV and at least feel some sort of local connection there. But at the same time, no, you, you won't be able to go there because that's the deal. You want, you want to have the team in your town? That's the price of admission. And, it, I mean, I won't respect them. D- do, I think, do I think an owner of a sports team if they actually took such a brazen stance, would still get their funding? Absolutely. I mean, I've I've said numerous times. I talked about when they built the the Jala Sandcrawler over on the east side or the, the east side of downtown Minneapolis for the, the the Vikes. I said over and over again that the the there were so many people who sat there. And if you said, oh, we want to give $50,000 to the Guthrie to help put on plays, and most of that money will come back into the community because they're going to uh, give away a bunch of t- tickets to, the, uh, to, to, uh, to, to high school kids. There were people out there saying, that's wasting my taxpayer dollars. How dare you? Those same people were suddenly like, $2 billion is a, is a good investment for a football stadium. We should just give it to them. Why, why don't you want to do Don't you have civic pride? The hypocrisy of it all. And, and trust me, I have thrown that back in a lot of people's faces since we've built that monstrosity on the east side of the downtown. And I was at, you know, I was at a game earlier this year. <laughs> they lost. Great. But I mean, I, you know, you know do, does anyone here feel as if they've got a tremendous amount of you know payback from that Viking Stadium? No, they haven't even gotten close. They haven't even smelt a Super Bowl at this point. But remember, stadiums get you championships. Stadiums get you championships. That's what they. That's what they say. As uh, they have uh, one of the teams comes from the old Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, was, uh, yeah, you know how it is. No, it's it's. I am it, – it, it's just a monstrosity. Now, they, they do this story. This is off of Yahoo Finance. It's, it's, the average is $630 for a family of four. Um, it, it's, it's funflation, as they call it. Well, yeah, 
And from the bottom of my heart, screw you for trying to make it sound like it's fun. Um, this is family of four. This is okay. So this would be a family of four, the NFL ticket. This is for an NFL game, family of four to the game, buys a food, two souvenirs and a parking spot. The average NFL is $631 for a family of four. Now that's, I'm not sure if that, where the Vikings fall in that, but that's the average for the NFL. Major league baseball is a comparable value. Um, Thirty-seven uh, for the average of thirty-seven dollars for a ticket uh, cost with two sixty-six for a family to go in a game, uh, and it's part of a long-term trend. So basically, it's for like a third to go to a major league baseball game. And it is to go to a uh, an NFL game. I would say this, depending on where you sit. I mean, that's the one thing that's nice about major league baseball, at least is there's still actually some relatively affordable seats out there. We need to put into perspective how much money $631 is to go to a game or how much even $266 is to go to a game on a baseball game or an NFL game um, in whatever which one you're thinking about. I have talked before over the holidays. We talk about what the, what the families, the, the, the median family has – in regards to the amount of money they have for the holidays. Now, I'm not talking about the average. The average gets skewed so dramatically upwards because the wealthy people and the amount of money they're spending on the holidays skews the rest of it up. And if you look at the average, it's somewhere around $900. But when you look at the median, which is the midpoint on the chart, that there are just as many people below this number as they are above this number, The number is, the last I saw was $87 per family. $87. That's gifts, food, decorations for the entire holidays. You've already priced out two-thirds of your market with these prices. The same people you are expecting to pay for your stadium. We are at a point, and they are testing. They are seeing how far they can get. How far can how far can they take their little you know shakedown scheme on any given city, where all of a sudden they need a new facility, and all of a sudden the the, the owner flies down to St. Louis or to Salt Lake City or to Portland and starts looking around and rubbing their chin, and yeah, I could see a new stadium here, all designed to get you to panic and be willing to throw as much taxpayer dollars at them with no guarantees they're going to win, no guarantees there's going to be affordable tickets, no guarantees of anything. Not at all. Not in the least bit. Now, on top of it, we'll go back to what I talked about last hour, which was the gambling. Now they're basically getting into bed with uh, with organizations that do not care whether or not you can afford to gamble. That's, That's irrelevant. They just want you to gamble. I, it, it is remarkable. I mean, it's, it's not like when I was growing up, sports were exactly a beacon of integrity in the first place. But my God, back when I was growing up, you know, it, it, it seems like it was a far better system than what we've got today. Jim is in St. Louis Park. Let's get him in here before we go to break. Welcome on in, Jim. Um, well, you said one thing. You said you can watch them on TV. And um, it's more and more, it seems like you have to pay to watch the games. Oh, yeah. And- the only, the only sport I watch is NFL, so I don't know about the other sports. But, um, like, Monday night 
uh, games, how long they've been on cable, what, for like 10 or 15 years now. And um, they put one, one of the playoff games was only on streaming platforms. And I think it's going to keep on going that way until only, only, only wealthier people are going to be able to afford to watch games on TV. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting, Jim. Thank you very much. Someone did an interesting article, and this was about a year ago. They said that, that radio will always exist. Radio will always exist in some form because that's exactly the point. Eventually, they want to make it a pay-to-watch situation. So you can't afford the tickets in, and you can't afford this. And that the and the argument that the sports leagues are going to make is, well, we still have our radio broadcast partners, and so as long as they still exist, you have a way of hearing it live without having to pay for it. Uh, until they basically get rid of you know AM and FM radios, which it seems like they're kind of intent on trying to do at this point. No, I it, it's you know it it is what it is. You're not going to stop it because it's. You know, too many people are now just romanticized about it. And the ugliness of it is, is that, you know, it's they get you all in there. You all watch it and stuff like this. And then all of a sudden you start saying to yourself, do we really need to fund schools? We can just get build a football stadium. Do we really need to make sure there's affordable health care? We can just build a football stadium. Do we need to make sure we fix the roads? We can just build a football stadium. And priorities. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. I got a ton of stories I got to get to. And a reminder, coming up at some point today, we're going to be giving away a tickets to the Listener Appreciation Party on February 13th. Uh, listen for your chance to call in for that. That's coming up here in a little bit. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. <laughs> AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. So, first of all, oh, do I? We have a, we have a story I got to get to because it's a bit of an update on a story that we we talked about before uh, up in in northern Minnesota, where there there's there seemed to be a question of whether or not the woman was trying to get her twin to take the fall for the accident. Remember this? Thirty five year old woman has been charged Monday with trying to deceive law enforcement into believing her identical twin was actually the SUV driver who hit an Amish buggy last fall, excuse me, I said northern, in southeastern Minnesota, which killed two of the four children on the horse-drawn vehicle. Samantha Joe Peterson, Samantha Joe Peterson of Kellogg, was charged in Fillmore County District Court with eight counts each of criminal vehicular homicide and criminal vehicular operation, plus two gross misdemeanor counts of driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol and a handful of misdemeanors. The crash involved a silver SUV and a buggy belonging to the Miller family uh, occurred shortly before 8.30 a.m. on September 25th along a southbound County Road 1. Killed were 7-year-old Wilma and 11-year-old Irma. The hospitalized in Rochester for treatment while Allen at 9 and Rose at 13. The four children were riding to school at the time of the crash, with Rose holding the reins, a family friend said. A search for the data from Peterson's cell phone put her on the road three minutes before the crash occurred. The charge is read. Law enforcement searched the messages on Peterson's phone between her and someone else soon after the crash revealed this exchange according to the charges. This little girl got killed today. So sad. Peterson, Dan, I don't think you realize that I did that. Dan responds, I'm confused. Peterson, confused on what I hit that Amish buggy and killed two people? 
Peterson then comes back and says, made Sarah come here and take the fall so I wouldn't go to prison. You know, your criminal plan, I've, I've caught one flaw here. I, I mean, I went and saw this weekend, I saw at the Guthrie, uh, Dial M for Murder. Fantastic, by the way. Phenomenal. Um, this is not that case. Okay. That's the, this is, this is not that. She basically admitted on her messages. She made her, Sarah, once again, this is Samantha is the, 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 the twin that's in trouble. Sarah is the twin that wasn't driving and crashing the car. Samantha has a criminal history in the state that includes two convictions for driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs and one for giving false information to police. Her twin is Sarah Beth Peterson, who has no serious crimes on her record in Minnesota. Well, uh, you know, you attesting that you were in the car is probably not going to help. A test of Samantha Peterson's blood by the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension found meth, amphetamine, and THC, an active ingredient in marijuana, according to the charges. So meth, let's just, you know, you know, it's, it's, she was on meth. Uh, Samantha Peterson, the guilty party, allegedly, was charged by summons and is due in court on March 25th. Messages left for her on Monday regarding the charges were not immediately returned. A few weeks after the crash, Samantha Peterson was, was asked by the Star Tribune whether she was the driver who hit the buggy. She replied, no, that's what they allegedly think. I was going to get a hold of a lawyer. Sarah Peterson has not responded. This is the not Samantha. This is Sarah. This is the one who allegedly wasn't driving, has not responded to several requests for comment, including on Monday. Um, possible charges against Sarah Peterson uh, are under are currently under review. We haven't made a final charging decision because reminder, it sounds like she went to the scene and tried to claim that she was driving the car. Now, I, hey, I like my family and all, but am I going to take the hit for two vehicular homicides of a kid for a, a sibling? Uh, no. That's, yeah, that, that's, wow. I, you know, I, I have to, I, I'm kind of stunned that she would even think about, you know, I'm sorry, you know, because you're, you're talking your life is going to be destroyed by you basically allowing the woman who was allegedly on meth and killed two kids to walk free. Court records show Sarah Peterson um, was convicted of a misdemeanor in 2017 for giving her twin's name to a Fillmore County Sheriff's deputy who pulled her over for driving erratically. So she's already sold out her sister at one point. The deputy was told soon after the story by a fellow deputy that Sarah Peterson had given Samantha's name in past interactions with law enforcement. According to Monday's charges and other court documents, calls to 911 sent a sheriff's deputy to the scene where she saw a silver 2005 Toyota 4Runner with fronted damage on the shoulder of County Road 1 near Sumner Church Center Church. The deputy also saw a 9-year-old boy and his 13-year-old sister on the road with injuries. Their 7- and 11-year-old sisters were passed away in the ditch. The sheriff said the horses did not survive the crash. The horse did not survive the crash either. Both twins were at the scene when the deputy arrived. Sarah Peterson told him she was driving the silver SUV, which is registered to her twin. Parked close by was a black 2002 Toyota 4Runner, which is also registered to Samantha Peterson. That same vehicle showed up at about 740 in Rochester 
where Sarah Peterson's children were dropped off for school, according to the school's video surveillance. So, once again, Sarah said she was driving the silver FUV, which is registered to Samantha. The other vehicle, the 2002 Toyota 4Runner, which also registered to Samantha, that same vehicle apparently, and this is once again, at what point was this in the morning? Um, this was it was eight. You know, it was eight in the morning, and so basically, the vehicle dropping Sarah, the non alleged non driver, her kids off at school, was spotted at that school. And so now all of a sudden we have this question of, okay, did Samantha drop your kids off school? Because Samantha was at work. While Sarah Peterson was left alone in a squad car, Samantha Peterson walked over and the two spoke. Audio from the deputy's pocket recorder captured Sarah Peterson saying, I think one of the guys is on to me, but I don't really care. There's no way they could ever know the difference between the two of us. So they can't tell according to the charges. Funny story, Um, if you admit the crime repeatedly, they're going to be able to tell. Still at the scene, Sarah Peterson insisted to a deputy that she was the driver who hit the buggy. Samantha Peterson left work at the Hy-Vee in Rochester shortly before 8 a.m. on the day of the crash and was seen getting in the silver SUV and leaving. Internet mapping measures in the Southland route to the crash scene is roughly a 24-minute drive. The crash occurred at 8.25. So once again, she, it was a 25-minute drive from the IV she was at in Rochester to where the crash happened with the silver SUV, which she was seen getting into at 8 o'clock. They didn't really think this through. Uh, I, I'm going to presume it's the meth. High V staff told law enforcement that Samantha Peterson admitted in a work messaging platform that she had used meth it was high at the time of the collision. So that's the third time they have admitted to the crime. The messages also indicate that Samantha Peterson, the alleged guilty party, was the driver and were sent during a time when Sarah was not in possession of her cell phone and was otherwise occupied on scene with law enforcement officers. So while they're at the scene, Samantha, who is depending on Sarah to take the fall for her, apparently uses her cell phone to admit to the crime that Sarah couldn't possibly have done because she didn't have her cell phone on her at the time. Yes. Surveillance video also captured Samantha Peterson at some point appearing to change her shirt. A state patrol investigation found that the silver SUV was traveling between 61, 71 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone at the time of the crash. Sarah, I I am not a lawyer. I am not. I, I think you have to. I get family is important and stuff like that. Um, the, your twin sister is trying to destroy your life. It's time for you to come forward, admit the truth. She already has three times, apparently. And admit to the fact that you made a mistake. You were trying to help out your sister. Maybe you can get away with just some probation, cleaning up some some roadways for a few weekends and be done with it. But the reality is, is that your sister has got a lot of problems and she needs immediate help. And you basically out there trying to stop her from being held accountable for driving under the influence of meth and killing two kids 
you're not getting a lot of the, on the sympathy side as far as trying to talk your way out of it at this point. But that's me. I'm not a lawyer. 952-946-6205. Uh, Patrick, let's, uh, let's do a little giveaway here, shall we? Uh, our listener appreciation party is going to be on February 13th. That's a week from tomorrow. Uh, it is from 6 to 8 p.m. I've got a pair of tickets for that event for a week from Tuesday. Uh, caller number five. Caller number five right now, the first of our listener appreciation giveaways. Caller number five right now, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. You will join us for the listener appreciation event on the Tuesday, the 13th of February, 952-946-6205. Caller number five, good luck with that. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Congratulations to Virginia and Loretto. Congratulations, Virginia. You are going to be joining us for the Listener Appreciation Party coming up here a week from tomorrow. Uh, thank you very much. Now, we are just beginning Listener Appreciation Month. This is the first day. Virginia is our first winner. Lots of ways for you to get involved. We got giveaways all month long. Uh, one way for you to get involved and possibly uh, win is to go to our Facebook page for AM950 Radio, like the page, go get the newsletter at am950radio.com, sign up for that, and then keep listening to this show, listen to Native Roots Radio, listen to Greg Bakken, listen for your chance to win throughout this week and the entire month. It's Listener Appreciation Month right here on AM950. Virginia, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'll look forward to seeing you coming up here. On the 13th, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So, reminder, just before I get into the next story, reminder, the narrative from the right is that all the sex crimes, all of them are, are it's drag queens and the transgender people and they're evil. And funny story, it's not drag queens and transgender people. It seems to be white people, uh, a lot of white people and a lot of white Christian people and a lot of grown adults who fall into categories that generally don't get talked about when you talk about, oh, who's the real danger here? But hey, you know, heaven forbid we try to address that. Uh, here you, you go. This is pretty disturbing. Uh, a Blaine woman has been charged with sexually assaulting two 15-year-old boys while they were at Twin Cities for a hockey tournament. On Friday, Ramsey County Attorney's Office announced it had charged Allison Lee uh, Chardon, 38, of one count of third-degree criminal sexual assault and one count of fourth-degree criminal sexual assault. According to the criminal complaint, both Chardon and members of a youth hockey team from Colorado were staying at a Roseville hotel on January 14th. That night, Chardon met members of the team in the hotel's hot tub told them about problems in her marriage. Okay. Later that night, she messaged one of the boys on Snapchat and asked him to come to his, uh, asked to come to his room. Once inside the room, Chardon asked the two boys about their sexual uh, some sexual questions and asked them uh, how old they were, noting they were young enough to be her kids. Then she uh, allegedly had sexual contact with the two boys. 
The next day, Chardon texted one of the victims and asked where they were playing hockey, and she showed up to the rink a short time later. Once the team had returned to Colorado, Chardon continued to text the two victims, asking one of them not to contact the police. Police were notified of the incident on January 22nd. Chardon was later arrested on Thursday. She told police she had come to the hotel for a staycation with her family. Um, okay. So, and once again, this was, this was a hotel January 14th. Uh, the police were notified a week later on the 22nd. Yeah. Um, not a drag queen. I know. It's like nothing Republicans say about the evils of our society are actually true. 952-946-6205, Um I, I, I tell you what, I, I, I want to get into, let me get into the, the Dean Phillips story because in case you missed it, um, Dean Phillips absolutely got pantsed in South Carolina. Badly. I mean, and I do mean badly. He was, if I can say, the, the thing which is, I thought was really kind of surprising was how Marion Williamson, Moonbeam, as I refer to her, really, I mean, that one's not going away. I'm calling you Moonbeam forever. Moonbeam apparently wasn't even in South Carolina since the beginning of the year. And she finished in second, which tells you about how Dean Phillips resonated in South Carolina. I will also point out something that a few people have have noticed is that Joe Biden absolutely dismantled and with authority won South Carolina. And the narrative is... Even though Joe Biden showed some strength in South Carolina, there still are lingering questions about the divide of the Democratic Party. And put that next to what happened in New Hampshire. Donald Trump is unstoppable. You've got 50-some percent of the vote. So, you know, it's the narrative is continuing out there. The Democrats, Joe Biden is clearly, clearly the candidate for the Democratic Party. And frankly, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people who are who are swaying from that. But you see, as if if he looks like he's unstoppable, then the media can't keep the, the the race close, to which means they get more ad buys. So they've got to basically make it seem like, oh, he's in trouble. And meanwhile, Donald Trump, who's barely getting half the vote, oh, he's unstoppable. That's kind of the thing. That's just the way it is. I'm going to ask the question I've been asking now for a while. Dean, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Okay, fine. So maybe you had some focus group stuff that said that Biden wasn't nearly as popular as he is. Fine. Okay. After New Hampshire, it should have been pretty written, you know, pretty big writing on the wall that he was still pretty popular. I mean, once again, he was a write-in candidate. But after South Carolina, there's there's no doubt, is there? They, yeah. What are you doing, man? You, you know, you're 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 not going to win this. I have asked you the question from the beginning. 
How are you going to get the union vote away from Joe Biden? The unions love Joe Biden, you know, outside of the police union. But even in the police union, I think he's got probably a 50-50 chance of endorsing Joe Biden at this point. Especially, I mean, if if the police union has, you know, any integrity whatsoever, they would look at what Trump did to the Capitol police officers and realize that could be any police officer getting beaten by Trump's mob at any point. And you'd think that that would, you know, that, you know apples, oranges. We'll, we'll get that. We'll, we'll get to that endorsement later on. But I've, I've said from the get-go, how are you going to get the union vote, the union worker, to vote for you, Dean? And so far, we haven't seen you've been able to make any dent whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, you had a pretty humiliating showing in South Carolina. I get it. You got some family money. You can probably keep this going for a while. Why? You've alienated yourself with most Democrats. I can say this with authority. Most Democrats I know. Ken Martin was down campaigning against you, endorsing Joe Biden in South Carolina. They're not on your side. I live in the Minnesota 3rd District. I don't know a single Democrat who wants to see you run again. You've poisoned the water hole. I don't know if you think that somehow you're going to be able to be the front runner come 2028. I don't know if this is just some ploy so you can think to yourself, well, I'm going to go run as a third party and all these people that didn't vote for me in the Democratic primaries and caucuses are going to vote for me there. No, they're not. No. I I don't know. I don't know if you're being set up yourself by right-wing elements that think that they can get you on a, a, you know, independent ticket and damage the Democrats, but I just don't see a lot of people going with you. Joe Biden is showing some real strength here so far. The things are not getting better for you. Indiana State Police and several other organizations are investigating potential election fraud in St. Joseph County involving presidential candidate Dean Phillips. St. Joseph County Clerk Amy Rolfs held a press conference on Friday morning laying out the details. According to Rolfs, the St. Joseph County Clerk's office allegedly found a number of fake signatures on petition forms for Phillips' candidacy in the May primary. These signatures did not match records on the statewide voter registration system, Rolfs said. She also noted that many of the addresses on the petitions forms do not even exist. Did you not think they were going to check? So we had 530 voters who had signed petitions, 530, Rolfs said. And of those 530, according to their due diligence and protocols following the process, we found 19 that were valid. 19 out of 530. 19. I mean, let me just, I just got to see for myself. Time for Matt's math corner. Uh, 19 divided by, what is it, 530? Equals, um, you got, uh, of your amount here, um, 0.3, I think it is, 0.3% were actually correct. Yikes. Yikes. Phillips, the third-term Democratic congressman from Minnesota, is challenging President Biden in the primary. He just came out of the New Hampshire with mo- and he just came out of New Hampshire with momentum. What momentum? Like I said, you want a sign that news stories are biased in this. He had no momentum coming out of New Hampshire. And this was before South Carolina, by the way. 
which he did. As much as I'm guessing the same news people are like, look at all the momentum he's got coming out of South Carolina. Oh, that's not momentum. That's toilet paper on his ankle. Um, ISP, along with the St. Joseph Election Board and the Office of Indiana Secretary of State and the Indiana Elections Division, are looking into the incident, which could result in criminal charges. Election fraud is not a conspiracy theory in St. Joseph County. It is real, Rolf said. This is, and this incident demonstrates why signature requirements and photo identifications are essential elements, ensuring our elections are fair and honest and fair. Great going, Dean. You've uh, validated the right-wing narrative talking points on this. Uh, ABC 57. How, how do you know you're in a small town? The ABC affiliates got a, you know, 50 on, as, as far as their channel. ABC 57 reached out to the Phillips campaign, who gave us the following statement. The campaign had hired a small business to conduct signature collection, as many campaigns do. The campaign has been made aware of the evidence that the 30-party business was fraudulent, and it is representations of signature collection in the campaign. The campaign is exploring legal actions. Well, you being outraged about the company that basically was doing your work for you, uh, lying extensively in St. Joseph County, uh, is... uh, you know, kind of a day late and a dollar short. That being said, what are you doing, man? This is only... I guarantee you, in Indiana right now, you'd better hope that this this company didn't do more than one county because I guarantee you that any other county this this company did is currently being looked at. And you're likely going to get kicked off the ballot in Indiana well, I, I think even with this one county, I think there's a legitimate argument you could be kicked off this ballot. But if all of a sudden, say it's 10 counties in Indiana, and none of them can verify more than 0.03% of the signatures on the ballot, then, you know, I hate to say this to you, Dean, but this feels a lot like I, when I had my discussions with, you know, in absentia with Mike Lindell, where Mike Lindell came on out in 2021 and said, we have all the evidence of fraud. And the the voting companies were like, hey, dude, no, you don't. We didn't do anything fraudulent. Where's your evidence? And he just kept going and going and going and eventually got to a point where he's going to lose everything. And I said to him, even early on, I said, Mike, now is the time to show your evidence, what evidence you've got, and go from there or beg for forgiveness. Apologize profusely. Get on your knees and beg for some hope. By all means. He never did. And he's going to lose everything. Dean? It's time for you to get out. You can figure out what you were planning on doing. Your campaign is a mess. The story that I posted this weekend, which showed basically no one showing up at your events. I think that was actually on Friday in South Carolina. You had 12 people, but one was a child and one was a dog. I don't know what you're trying to prove here outside of throwing away the ability, uh, the the goodwill and the like. People liked you, man. People liked you. They did. They liked you. 
I think you, if, if you hadn't pulled the stunt, if, if not before the 2022 election, you didn't start talking about how, yeah, Joe Biden's too old. If you would have just kept quiet, you could have kept that seat for as long as you wanted it. But it's time to call it. All right? You don't have momentum. You barely have a pulse. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Now, once again, I want to make sure I go over this again. Once again, congratulations to Virginia, our winner of tickets today to the Listener Appreciation Event on the 13th. It's Listener Appreciation Month here at AM 950. We have got some huge prizes that we're going to be giving away throughout the month. This week, the giveaways involve the Listener Appreciation Party coming up here on the 13th on next Tuesday, a week from this upcoming Tuesday. And uh, if you, once again, you can go to our Facebook page. Go to AM950 Radio on Facebook. Like that page. Go sign up for the email newsletter at am950radio.com. Both of those ways you'll also be entered in to possibly win some listener appreciation stuff. So good luck with that. All right? And keep listening. Got Pilot, Native American uh, Native Roots Radio is going to be coming up here right after me. And then Ghost Box Radio tonight right here with Greg Bakken. Keep listening through the great programming throughout the entire day. Right here on AM 950. Uh, Just quickly here, a Tesla employee from the Twin Cities was arrested near Tesla's headquarters in Austin after threatening to kill the company's owner, Elon Musk, and President Joe Biden, according to charges. Justin McCauley, 31 of Rogers, was charged last week in Travis County District Court with third-degree terroristic threats in connection with the threats. McCauley was booked into the county jail on January 28th, remains jailed as of Monday morning in lieu of $20,000 bail. McCauley's professional bio line says he has worked for Tesla for the past three years, most recently as an engineering technician, but the bio did not specify the job's location. Tesla does have a facility in Brooklyn Park with employees in engineering, information technology, and manufacturing. Uh, Numerous reports out of Texas um, are citing court documents that say sheriff's office was alerted January 27th to McCauley's threats posted about two weeks earlier on on the uh, Twitter the social media site uh, that Musk owns to post uh, you post Okay. Interesting. Two posts quoted by the arrest affidavit uh, and another media outlet say, I will arrive in Texas where the war has begun on many fronts um, at, at Tesla, at Joe Biden, at Elon Musk. I'm planning to kill all of you, uh, including Twitter. Uh, Macaulay's wife told law enforcement he worked at Tesla, but was injured in collector workers comp. McCauley, who pulled over, was pulled over by a sheriff's deputy for speeding near Austin on Interstate 35 on January 28th when he said he was on the way to Tesla's Gigafactory, claimed to, uh, to know a secret entrance and wanted to speak with Elon, provide him with a password only he would know about, the TV station reported, citing court records. I don't think he's doing too well. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it's... It's interesting. I, I mean, obviously, we you know this is pure speculation. Clearly, I'm, I'm guessing that there's something involved with the employment status at Tesla that has. In, and when he says that, um, collect he was collecting workers' compensation, so I'm, I'm going to guess something happened there. And whatever the accident or the case may be, 
it's manifested itself with this individual into a desire to get some level of revenge on Elon Musk. Joe Biden, I, you know, I, I can tell you, yeah, you're going to get a lot of attention. You start putting death threats out to a president, that's for sure. And so it's I, – I, I'm kind of surprised. I don't think this guy is – it'd be one thing if you, you – you know, some of these guys that go out and they do these threats, they'll do them. And then they basically – but they, there's ever no attempt at follow-through. There's no attempt at, 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 at actually trying to, to do some damage. But in this case, there clearly was. So I'm – yeah. I'm going to guess a mental evaluation at some point is going to take place in this circumstance. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and as always, I'll just say this. If you are experiencing mental health issues and you've got some problems, please contact a professional. There are people out there that are more than willing to help. Okay? Okay, please do. Uh, Native Roots Radio up next. Have a good one. We are back tomorrow uh, right here on AM 950. Till then, see ya.